It's this week, three years ago now, since the first case of COVID-19 was confirmed in this country. Within weeks, schools were closed, people were ordered to largely stay at home and stay away from other people as much as possible to prevent the spread of the virus and hospitals being overwhelmed. Restrictions on the way we live continued until January of last year. Now, a senior scientist and former member of NEFIT, the group charged with overseeing and advising the country's response to the pandemic, says that too many decisions were based on fear rather than science. In a paper presented to peers before Christmas and in a newspaper interview this weekend, Professor Martin Cormican, Professor of Bacteriology at the University of Galway, who was the HSE's National Clinical Lead for Infection Control, says that decisions to close schools long-term and ban visitors to nursing homes were inhumane. We did look to talk to Professor Cormican, but were told he was not available. He did talk to Daniel Barron, freelance medical journalist, who had the story this weekend. Uh, Daniel Barron, good morning. Thanks for taking our call today. Good morning, Gavin. Tell us more about the, the, the key points of disagreement on his part with the advice of Neffet. Well, it's important to note that Professor Cormican thought we did a lot right during the pandemic. He said that we ran a a brilliant vaccination program. We communicated well with the public. You know, we did a lot right. But he he did outline a number of points that we got wrong. And I suppose the difference between him and maybe what a lot of people think is that he was in the room. He was there with Neffet when these decisions were made. And he disagreed with a lot of them. He was very um, strong on the point that we shouldn't have restricted visitors, either in nursing homes or in acute hospitals. Um, He found that this was inhumane. He also was very passionate about the closure of schools for extended periods of time, saying this would have had huge knock-on effects for um, young people's health. Um, He also, you know, is on record as voting against the mask mandate, saying there was no good evidence for the wearing of masks. He didn't believe in the two-metre social distancing, which we all know became a complete, a rule we all lived by. Um, There was so much in this that he, he, he was, he's, he said was not only with the benefit of hindsight, but also at the time. He did raise these objections at the time, but he, he either didn't get a hearing or it it didn't change anything. Did he speak out at the time? Yes, he, he actually asked the, the chairperson of the expert advisory group that he was on to record his dissent about masks at the time. He did raise his opinions. He said people were given the opportunity to speak but he, he says in, in that paper, which is, is really worth a read for anybody who is interested, it's called the Marion Dashwood Test. It's named after the heroine in Sense and Sensibility who compares her conduct to what might have been. And he, he, he outlines it very eloquently in that, that he, he said he, he shares in, in the blame for this because he feels that he either didn't make the argument strongly enough at the time or that he failed to persuade. Why has he decided to speak out now in your view? Well, he was asked by his peers to present this paper back before Christmas. It's funny that it wasn't picked up. I saw it on his LinkedIn um, a couple of months ago and noted it and, and, and made time to read it. It is, it is quite a long read, but it's a worthwhile read. And I, I spoke to him myself then and we, we arranged this interview that was in the Irish Independent at the weekend. But um, it was, I spoke to him for four hours for the, for the piece. You know, I wrote 4,000 words. I could have written uh, 14,000 words. You know, he has so much to say and it's, it's very much, like I said, it's based on his evidence, his 40 years of clinical experience. He's a clinical microbiologist. He was the HSE lead on clinical infection and um, or infection prevention and uh, antibiotic resistance for years. He's not in that post anymore, so he probably feels more, more able to speak. 
Daniel, did you put the argument to him that many of his reflections are with the benefit of hindsight, that we know so much more now than we did, certainly at the start of the pandemic, but even during it too? Yeah, well, his point was not that. It was that as the evidence changed and as our knowledge of the pandemic and of the virus changed, we should have, you know, been more agile and more quick to respond. And, and he, like I said, he's, he's, he's a, got clinical experience, he's got the scientific knowledge, and he said that we should have applied the evidence to and applied the science to the unintended consequences of, of what we were doing. And we should have, you know, changed tack throughout the pandemic as it became clear that we could not contain this virus, that it was becoming endemic, that also, you know, vaccination, it rose out pretty quickly here. I mean, it's funny now when we think about it, we were arguing over handfuls of doses in the early days of the vaccination programme, but within a few months, the vast majority of society had been offered or accepted one or two doses. So he said at that stage, you know, that the risk of severe infection had, had become very minimal. But we know that, like you said in the intro, pandemic restrictions persisted until January of 2022. So his, his point was that for future pandemics, we need to assess the evidence on an ongoing basis and change our approach. Daniel, as you said, he had an awful lot to say and there is a lot uh, of reading in both your article and indeed in his paper. He did make the argument too that he would have been in favour of mandatory vaccination. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't get to cover in the larger article. Like I said, I needed those extra few thousand words. But I feel that that's another article, that's another conversation for society because he said it wasn't just in the context of the COVID vaccines. It was in the context of vaccination in general. And that if you do not choose not to get vaccinated, you have to accept that there's consequences for society as a whole. So we know that during the pandemic, as everyone was becoming vaccinated, those that had either refused a vaccine a vaccination or had you know had declined it um they were disproportionately represented in the ICUs and that was his point that you know um the impact on society of your decision not to be vaccinated now he did say that we in 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 the the longer paper he did say that we you know we imposed so many restrictions on people who weren't vaccinated that it was de facto you know mandatory vaccination that to participate in society to travel you needed to be vaccinated but he said it was that we didn't really have the nerve to kind of call it mandatory vaccination but he felt strongly about that like i said in the context of other diseases we've seen outbreaks of measles and mumps in recent years due to the decline in mmr vaccination and that has knock-on impact for the whole of society daniel barron freelance medical journalist thank you for speaking with us this morning